0: Thank you, David. We appreciate Silicon Valley High School helping us to get these podcasts out to the hundreds of thousands of listeners from all over the world. So I hope you enjoy the show. Hey everyone and welcome back to the New Heights Show on Education. I hope you all had a great weekend as always. This is your host, Anna She. Thank you all for tuning in to today's show. So I am a part of the New Heights Educational Group, which is um, a group that I volunteer with as part of this radio show program. And you can find out more about them at newheightseducation.org or email us at newheightseducation at yahoo.com or call us at 419-786-0247. educational resources to help reach your goals. Before I begin, I just want to clarify that I own none of the information I'm going to talk about today. All of it can be found from the websites included in this episode's description, which you should be able to check out as soon as the first half of the show is published. So today we are talking about a bird called the tufted titmouse. So you might have never even heard of this bird before. Um, I certainly haven't until like I actually, until I started learning about birds like um, in biology class. So, they're basically this little um, kind of gray bird, so they have a gray, kind of gray slash bluish back and um, they have a little crest just like the cardinal and then their stomach as well as like most of their face is a kind of creamy white color and their eyes are like um, a deep little black color. So they have a very echoing voice, and they're common in the eastern deciduous forests um, of the United States, as well as the frequent visitor to feeders. So they are one of the many songbirds that you can find in New England, which is one of the reasons why I'm talking about them. Uh, the large black eyes, uh, small and round bill, and the brushy crest are kind of the... I some of the most characteristic qualities of this bird and they give the bird a kind of eager expression that matches the way um, they kind of fly their way through the canopies hang from twig ends, and drop into bird feeders um, when a titmouse finds a large seed you'll see it carry it the carry the seed to a perch and then crack it with sharp wax of its stout bill so you just kind of whack it with its bill which is pretty cute um, So these birds look kind of large in comparison to the other small birds that usually come to feeders. Uh, A lot of this comes from the impression of their large head, their large eye, the thick neck, and their kind of like really full bodies. And um, the pointed crest and the stout bill help identify tip mice even when they are only in silhouette form. So again, they have a kind of silvery-grey pattern from above, which helps them to blend into the surroundings. Um, And they have the white underside, which again also helps them to blend into their surroundings if you look at them from below because the sky is a kind of lighter color than the ground. They also have a kind of rusty or almost peach colored wash down their flanks and they have a black patch just above the bill which makes the bird bird look like they have a little bit of a snub-nosed So here's some cool facts about the tufted titmouse. Um, So the black crested titmouse of Texas and Mexico has at times been considered just a form of the tufted titmouse. Uh, The two species hybridize where they meet, but the hybrid zone is really narrow and stable um, over time. They differ slightly in the quality of their calls and they show um, some genetic differences as well. And unlike many chickadees, the tufted titmouse pairs do not gather into large flocks outside the breeding season. So what they do instead is that um, they remain on the territory as a pair, and frequently one of their young from that year remains with them, and occasionally other juveniles from other places will join them. So they're not really into those huge, super big flocks as some other birds are. Rarely a young tip mouse remains with his parents into the breeding season and will help them raise the next year's brood. So I didn't know that before, but that's pretty interesting. So it's pretty nice of the kids to like help their parents raise the new kid and they'll be like, hey, we're both related. <laughs> um, the tufted titmouse hoard food in the fall and winter, almost like squirrels and black up chickadees, a behavior that they share with many of their relatives. Um, tip mice take advantage of a bird feeder's bounty by storing many of the seeds they get, and usually the storage storage sites are within 130 feet of the feeder, so not too far away. Um, I'm sure they would be able to remember the places that they hide their food as well, because that would definitely be something they, uh, want to be able to do. (laughs) The birds usually um, take one seed per trip, like only one seed, and shell the seeds before hiding them, so it's a pretty smart move there. And tough to tip mice where they nest, they nest in tree holes and of course nest boxes put out by bird lovers, but they can't ex- excavate their own nest cavities, so they kind of like take um, just whatever nature gives them to make their little nest. And usually they might use like natural holes and cavities that are left by woodpeckers, so it's making good use of their surroundings and saving them some time and energy as well. Uh, These species' dependence on dead wood for their homes is one reason why it's important to allow dead trees to remain in forests rather than cutting them down. Um, So if you see a dead tree, try to leave it there for now. Tufted titmice often line the inner cup of their nests with hair, sometimes plucked directly from living animals, which is pretty interesting. Um, That's a lot of bravery going up to random animals and taking the hair from them. The list of hair types that have been identified from old nests of tufted titmice include raccoons, opossums, mice, woodchucks, squirrels, rabbits, livestock, pets, and even humans so that's pretty interesting so they really have a lot of bravery to go up to all of these animals especially like raccoons like raccoons can be pretty fierce um, just to get like their hair the oldest known wild tufted titmouse was at least 13 years and three months old it was first banded in Virginia in 1962 and found in the same state in 1974 So that's a really long-lived tufted titmouse. So tufted titmice live in deciduous woods. Um, I mean, they are found in New England, which is like a deciduous area. Uh, They also can be found in mixed evergreen deciduous woods, typically in areas with a dense canopy and many tree species. They're also common in in orchards, parks, and suburban areas. So these are some generally areas that can be found usually they're found at some low elevations kind of like cardinals like the cardinals kind of like live in the undergrowth and low elevations but tough to tip mice seem to like um, the open areas a little bit more and these these birds are rarely reported at elevations above 2,000 feet in terms of their food, tufted to tip mice eat mainly insects in the summer, which include caterpillars, beetles, ants of course, and wasps even. I don't know how they take care of the stings. They can sometimes eat stink bugs as well, and tree hoppers, as well as spiders and snails. So they eat a, quite a bit of a variety of insects in the summer. And it would make sense because in the summer is when a lot of the insects are able to come out. Um, Otherwise, tufted mice eat seeds, nuts, berries, including acorns even, and beech nuts. Experiments with tufted mice indicate they always choose the largest seeds they can when foraging, which is smart of them because you want to be able to get the most food. Um, Insects usually make up close to two-thirds of the bird's annual diet, with caterpillars being the most important prey in the summer. Um, And of course there's a bunch of other insects like sawfly, larvae, um, other bugs, scale insects, and many others. And they sometimes might even insect eggs too. Um, The seeds, nuts, and the berries, and small fruit are mostly important to their diet um, in the winter. Which makes sense because a lot of the insects are kind of like gone in the winter. For, these birds usually forage by hopping actively among branches and twigs of trees and often they might even hang upside down uh, or sometimes hovering momentarily when they're foraging they often drop food they often drop to the ground for food as well uh, so they might come to bird feeders for seas and such and um, When they decide to eat acorns and seeds, they open them by holding them with their feet and then just kind of hammering them with their bill. And they will store these food items and retrieve them later. In terms of their eggs, so they usually lay five to six eggs, sometimes three to nine, um, and their eggs are white, um, like most eggs, I suppose. And they have a lot of fine little dots with them uh, that are kind of brown, reddish, or a purplish color. The female is the only um, bird in the pair that incubates the eggs, and she usually um, keeps them warm for 12 to 14 days or so, so about two weeks. In turn, for the young, the female stays with the young much of the time at first, while the male brings her food, and of course food for the young as well. Um, Later, the young are fed by both parents, and sometimes by an additional helper, which um, as we know, could be one of the parents' past children. The young leave the nest about 15 to 16 days after hatching, although of course some might stay with their parents for a little bit longer, but that happens really, really rarely. So what the nest looks like, so we know that um, their nests are usually made of... um... Lots of hair from other animals, and we know that they don't usually um, like make their own nests. So the parents do remain together all year, enjoying small flocks with other mice in the winter. But the flocks break up in the late winter, and then the pairs start establishing their nesting territories. And the male feeds the female often from the courtship stage until after the eggs hatch. So I will finish up um, the second half in the second half of today's show with the nests, um, where their nests are, a little bit more about the behavior, um, how you could possibly find this bird and just some like general conservation about this bird as well. So I will see you all in just a little bit. This podcast is brought to you by Silicon Valley High School, the world's fastest growing, video-based, self-paced, teacher-supported, fully accredited online school That's recommended by more than 96% of students. Take individual courses at just $95 each or earn your high school diploma at any age. Check us out at svhs.co. Hey everyone, and welcome back to today's show on the Tufted Titmouse, part two. So where I left off, we were talking about the nests of the Tufted Titmouse. Um, So again, the male feeds the female often from the courtship stage until after the eggs hatch. And the breeding pair may have an occasional helper, um, which may be one of their offspring from the previous year. They can be like, hey, I'm related to these little... Birds that my parents are having again. (laughs) Um, The nest site is usually in a hole in a tree, either a natural cavity or an old woodpecker hole. Usually the nest is about 35 feet above the ground um, or ranging from 3 feet to 90 feet and up. And unlike chickadees, apparently um, these birds don't excavate their own nest hole and they will also use nest boxes. The nest, um, which are most likely built by the females, has a foundation of grass, moss, leaves, bark strips. Um, They're often lined with soft materials, uh, and as we all know, especially animal hair, which may be even human hair, and they may be plucked from live animals. (laughs) They might also pluck the hair from live woodchucks, dogs, and other animals, really. Um, tip mice build cup-shaped nests inside the nest cavity using damp leaves um, and some other materials like grasses and bark strips. And um, they might even line the nest with some cotton, just any kind of like soft material to help keep the little chicks warm. Naturalists who examine the old nests have identified raccoon, um, like an, even fox squirrel hairs, red squirrels, horse hairs, um, mouse, woodchucks, a bunch of different animal hairs. Usually um, the nest construction takes about 6 to 11 days, so maybe a week or a week and a half, maybe. It's a pretty long time. Um... They can also sometimes they might use the hole of um, a polluted woodpecker or a northern flicker which are birds that like kind of like make little old make little nest holes in trees and Additionally a tufted tip mice also nest in artificial structure which uh, besides nest boxes include fence posts and metal pipes so metal pipes is an interesting place to have their kids In terms of their behavior, so tufted titmice flit from branch to branch of the forest canopy looking for food, often in the company of other species, which include nuthatches, chickadees, kinglets, and woodpeckers. And so as we know from before, um, the chickadee has a tendency to kind of hang around with other birds as well besides like birds of its own species. So it's not a huge surprise that they can be found with tufted titmice. Whenever these titmice find large seeds, such as sunflower seeds, they take take them from wherever they are, maybe it's a bird feeder, and then they typically hold on to the seed with their feet and then they, of course, hammer it open with their beaks. And then in the fall and in the winter, they would hide these seeds in bark crevices um, in order to save them for later. So... And these tuftatimis are very acrobatic, so they can hang upside down or sideways in order to investigate cones, the undersides of branches, and leaf clusters. So they're really kind of like this really happy little bird who's super acrobatic and everything, just really cute. And so they, they sometimes even come all the way to the ground to hop around after fallen seeds or insects. And these tip bites are very vocal birds and they're also really quick to respond to the sounds of agitation in other birds, uh, which might be pretty helpful in order for them. So when they like stay with other birds, just like with the chickadees, they can kind of be around them and know whenever something is wrong. And they usually come close uh, to investigate or join a group of birds mobbing a predator. So if you look up um, in one of the websites included in this episode's description, you should be able to find um, one, of, one of the links should lead to more about the Talk to Titmouse, and you should be able to find more about what their call is like. Um, I've ne- I'm sure I've heard of their call before, but I do not remember what it is at the moment. Um, but I'm sure that if you listen to their call on the website, uh, you should be able to find out. And honestly, that website, the websites in this episode's description, um, have a lot of really good information about birds uh, especially their calls like they have calls that are from different kinds different naturalists who upload them and they I mean, sometimes they might include only the common call of the bird sometimes they might include the warning call and like different types of calls like all these birds have really complex kind of languages so Having all of these resources for us to learn about their calls is always really, really cool. So, with their conservation, uh, tufted titmites are really common along with with a similar black crested titmouse. So, the populations have increased between 1966 and 2015 according to the North American Breeding Bird Survey. And the Partners in Flight estimates a global breeding population of 8 million which is a lot, (laughs) with 100% living in the U.S. The species rates a 7 out of 20 on the Continental Concern score. And the Tufted Titmouse is not, I repeat, not on the 2016 State of North America's Birds Watch list. So really, these birds are kind of doing fine. Like, just like the Cardinal, these birds don't have a huge threat, like, at least a ton of huge threat. A ton of huge threats facing them right now which is pretty good and uh, the fact that they're all living in the US is pretty interesting itself so you know if you go anywhere in the US as long as you're within their region you should be able to see some tufted tip mice Um, these birds range have been expanding northward over the last half century or so possibly due to changes in the weather it could also be because of reversion of farmlands to forests and the growing popularity of backyard bird feeders because if you think about it um with the warming climate the birds might be moving northward um because like they're like hey the weather's even more war- there's weather's warm up here we can actually live here like be- unlike before and they're like hey this place is actually pretty cool so they start even moving so they start moving even more northward Um, And of course, with the backyard bird feeders, if you as long as they have some kind of food and shelter and water and like warmth, they'll be able they'll be doing pretty good wherever they are. So the bird feeders provide like um, an extra kind of food resource for the birds. And now they're able to live in another area where they wouldn't have been able to live in before, which is pretty nice. And it also helps their growing population, too. So if you really want to find some of these tough-to-tip mice at your bird feeder, um, there you'll be in luck because they are quite um, regular. They're one of the regulars at backyard bird feeders, especially in the winter. And they do prefer sunflower seeds, like many other birds do. Like I guess sunflower seeds is a huge gourmet thing for them. But they'll also eat suet, peanuts, and other seeds. Uh, I'm sure if you get some. Um, a bird feeder bag of mixed seeds from your local store, You should it should be good. Uh, so you can, as you know, they build their nests and cavities. So if you want to kind of see their nesting in action, you can put up some nest boxes in order to attract some breeding tip mice to your yard. And But make sure you put it up well before the breeding season. And attach a guard to the nesting box in order to keep predators from raiding the eggs and the young. And if you really just want to look for this bird, um, you can find the bird flitting through the outer branches of tree canopies in deciduous woods, like the New England area. Um, You can also find them in the parks and, of course, backyards, really. If you want, um, if you're really intent on looking for this bird, you can take a quiet walk through the woodlands and you'll often turn up the twittering of a mixed species foraging flocked, uh, which, as you know, might include the tufted titmouse, um, along with the black-capped chickadee and nuthatch and a bunch of other birds. And I believe their call... um, is a kind of whistled Peter, Peter, Peter song. Uh, You might hear that well before you see the bird. So those are some ways you can kind of attract that bird to your backyard, um, as well as just kind of finding the bird on one of your journeys in the forest. And that concludes today's show. I would like to thank you all for tuning in today. And don't forget to join me next Sunday at 5 p.m. Eastern time when I talk about another songbird because um, I have a few more songbirds that I want to talk about. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Don't forget to rate us and follow us on your podcast player. Check out our show page, radio.newheightseducation.org for monthly announcements and other happenings. New on Curiosity Street. Louis V. Mayer, Jack Warner, William Fox. Hollywood was the city of dreams, but the beginnings were a nightmare. You will never work in this town again! It's Titans, the rise of Hollywood. And Merapi, one of the world's most active volcanoes. Can we better predict its next deadly eruption? A new expedition hunts for life saving answers on exploring the volcano. Watch now on Curiosity Stream. Annual plans are $20, just $1.67 a month. Visit CuriosityStream.com.